everyone, welcome back to the Book and Life podcast. Today we're going to have a brand new book guest on. Whether they're an author, an editor, a producer, you'll never quite know, so you're in for one hell of a ride. But today I just have to uh, do the adverts and then I'll get us straight into that most important conversation. And as as we do every week, um, I'm going to read The Shadow which is part of the Time Guardian series, and this is book four from Marianne Curley. The battle is over, the war is won. The prophecy complete, but life can't just pick up where it left off for Ethan, struggling to cope with tragic loss. At odds with friends in the guard, he finds himself adrift, jumping in shadows and sensing someone who can't possibly be there. Blaming herself for the goddess Athena's death, Giselle swears revenge to fullify the immortal's plan for world domination, but Giselle hadn't planned on love, and that leaves her with an unbearable choice. Should she follow her heart, or the strings of a goddess short on praise but high on expectation, who continues to pull her from the grave? As the guard and the order battles through the past and into an impossible future, darkness looks round every corner. The fight for the world's survival rests with just one. Is it friend or foe who stands in the shadow? And just a reminder that The Price of Freedom by Rosemary Aiken, sorry, Rosemary Rowan, um, is being donated to the Ukraine refugee crisis. And here's the blurb for her book. It's uh, one of her... Roman British crime series, which was written under her maiden name. All editions can be found online where all books are sold, even her agents donating her commission. Sorry, I don't have the blurb for that, but uh, that's that's what she's doing. And now, without further ado, let's get you to the guests. Welcome back to the Book and Life podcast, guys. I promised you a reasonably and excitingly amazing guest and I have delivered because I have been excited all week for this and I have driven everybody who works with me mad because I've been talking about this non-stop so without further ado I'm bringing in Danny hi uh, I have uh, um I have very little to say about myself, but here we are. Hi, everyone. My name is Danny Ramadan. I am a Syrian-Canadian author and an advocate for LGBTQ-identifying refugees. I came to Canada in 2014, which um, around the time the dinosaurs roamed Earth. And, yeah, uh, I know, because yeah, I was around there, days? too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Actually, I wrote a... No, I'm not going to go there. Anyways, um <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I get the piss taken out of me because I'm LBGQ too, and yeah, so most people take the piss out of me because I was one of the first to kind of really come out as bi in Shetland. So, oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. In a um, place where I... it wasn't very popular. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, and I'm an author. I write books for a living. I. Uh, um, I'm honored to be one of the very few authors, it, like statistically speaking, not every artist out there is capable of making money 
out of their art. And I'm thankful that I'm one of those folks who does what I love for a living. Uh, I published novels before, uh, The Clothesline Swing and The Foghorn Echoes. And I've published children books, uh, the Selma series, it's called, which is multiple books um, about a little Syrian girl called Selma. I love that because I'm the same as you. Like I, 10 years ago, I was like, oh, I'm going to become a writer, not mm-hmm. quite realizing the um, journey mm-hmm. that it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then I got lucky. Now I work with wrestlers and writers from all over the world and it was not the intending start that I ever wanted I was very much in acting and dancing and loved that world and then I got together with my my husband and my whole focus shifted and I had to think well what can I do from home mm-hmm. and I ended up in writing so but saying that you you'll understand the balancing of the comedian stuff and and the writing mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting for me to be honest like i've always wanted to be an author i've i i remember distinctly my father asking me in front of the whole family when i was 12 what do you want to do when you grow up and i was like i want to write books and everybody laughed at me so um mine so did the same yeah, this is this is kind of uh, flipping the bird to everybody who left when I was 12 um, because I wanted to be an author. I uh, Yeah, and genuinely speaking, I couldn't imagine when I was 12 that I will be an author in a distant country like Canada and I'll be writing stories in a second language, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, none of us ever really think like that. Especially, yeah. I I grew up in Shetland, so we spoke Shetland dialect. So it was completely mm-hmm. alien to me to think that there was such a thing as proper English or grammar or mm-hmm. any of that. Mm-hmm. So when I kind of started venturing out, and I also was undiagnosed dyslexic, so it was rough <laughs> when I got started. Mm-hmm. So I actually understand where you're coming from in that regard, because Ours is like an old Norse that isn't spoken anymore. And then English is completely different again. So it it, it is hard. It's hard. And I still catch myself saying words or writing words that are from my old language and my editor going, the hell is that? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I'm like, eh. yeah. yeah. It, it makes sense to me sometimes, though, to just, let go of the expectations of what language you're writing and just write whichever way that works for you. Um, I think honestly, like what I'm going to sound so full of myself, but I have a distinct voice, right? My writing has a very specific artistic voice that I don't think anybody else has. I think a lot of people have fantastic voices. Many of them are better than mine, but, um, but I just think that I have my own voice. And the reason why is because I did not lean into writing like I'm expected to write when it comes to English. I just wrote whatever came to mind and I allowed the poetry of Arabic to seep into English and um, I would take phrases that because at the end of the day yes I'm fluent I'm speaking to you in the language right but there are certain things that I will make a mistake in and somehow those things can can stand out and be be beautiful in their own way just 
It's just a dialect that seeps into my work, right? I, I must admit, when I did Immorals, I had to do Shetland and English, and that got really confusing very quickly because it was like taking the hat off and on. And mm -hmm. eventually my brain was like, well, is the hat on or off? <laughs> so I was, it took me, it took me a while to get it finished because I was constantly going, like, is it English? Is that so yeah, I mm -hmm. kind of sat on the fence a while. So what is it like for, for you doing kind of the comedy stuff as well as being an author? Do you ever find it intersects or are you able to kind of keep them separate? The comedy stuff? Like, well, your your comedic elements, like your humor and stuff like that, are you able to, like, oh, separate all that? Um, huh. So I write very difficult and, and, and dark matters, right? Like, I write about yeah. immigration and diaspora, and I write about um, a lot of um, the internal struggles of somebody who's navigating PTSD, right? Um, but I do think that there's a place for complex narratives when it comes come to those to those topics, specifically because somebody who's going through PTSD, for example, one of the many ways that folks soothe themselves is through uh, humor and through uh, levitation. So I I genuinely think that there is space for for fun and humor to be included in narratives that otherwise can be quite daunting um, if you thought about it. Um, I think I laugh to myself when I'm writing sometimes. Sometimes I'll be writing a scene and the scene is very specific. Um, I can think of one scene where uh, this uh, my main character is navigating um, uh, microaggressions. He is surrounded by, he's a brown person and he is surrounded by white folks and the white folks are making unintended but quite severe microaggressions. And um, slowly but surely the absurdity of the situation seeped into the, the uh, writing itself. And now I started making jokes inside of the internal narrative of my character, which made sense to me. Yes, it is a difficult situation that he's in but at the same time i think the only way for him to navigate that difficult situation was to be humorous about it yeah that makes sense because i must admit with my my own ptsd i do use gallows humor very mm -hmm. british humor mm -hmm. because it makes sense to me in the regard of well i deal with that in that way and then i mm -hmm. i can go back to a normal conversation my best friend is, is one of these people. She'll say, Crystal, you'll just randomly say something. Just completely left-wing, totally out of nowhere. None of us know what you're talking about. And you just have a laugh to yourself, and you snigger to yourself, and then you come back to the conversation. And that's mm -hmm. usually when they, they notice that I've had one of my episodes. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that actually mm -hmm. makes sense, because for me, I never knew how to cope with it, because I had PTSD from when I was a child and up. And I, I had no understanding of what what it was or what was involved in it. And it was only a few years ago I got told that I actually had it. So, um, But yeah, that makes sense to me now that you've said it that way, that, you know, it's not just a quirk in my personality. It's probably just my coping mechanisms. It is. It is. And there's honestly, coping mechanisms exist for a reason. And we tend to justify... Hmm, 
actually I'll take that back. We tend to we tend to judge our coping mechanisms because we tend to I don't know um uh, run away from uh, intense situations that we don't like and and then yeah. after we step away from like I don't know a conversation that veered away from our comfort we're like no but we should be strong enough to stand in that space and handle that conversation yeah. and I I I disagree with that I think that if you felt like you need to step away from a conversation, step away from a conversation. If you felt like you uh, are in an intense situation and your coping mechanism is flight, fly away, escape the whole thing. Um, And if your coping mechanism is humor, crack those jokes, have the gallows, uh, (laughs) the gallows humor and and talk about dead people. It's totally fine. Um, You don't need to judge it or give it this gray terms like cork cork is a great term because it's neither good or bad it's just a cork yeah Mm -hmm. and i think that um i think that humor and having humor as a way of uh, coping uh as a way of coping towards uh past traumas is not a cork It's, it's it's an actual part of growth and who you are as a person i guess yeah and I think mm-hmm. it's for me, cause I went back to help out children in Shetland for a while. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I must be isolated. Like in, in what I experienced, I grew up in a hospital. So I grew up with lots of sick kids around me all the time. And I actually noticed a lot of these kids had severe anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I was recognizing mm-hmm. it when nobody else was. And I was like, Holy crap. So one of the things I did when I was up there was I, I would take away, take aside a lot of the youth leaders and I'd be like, that kid's dealing with something big. Yeah. That's why they're saying these things. That's why they're doing these things. Pay attention, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they were so glad that I'd been, even though I was only back for the pandemic, but they were glad that I was there because that was something they never thought of. Mm-hmm. And I felt mm-hmm. like, it was like the final step that I needed to take to be like, okay, I understand that I've got it, but now I can like lay the groundwork for other people to recognize it and for others to get help that would mm-hmm. otherwise just have fallen through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it takes one to know one, right? Like it's, um, yeah. it's uh, trauma leaves a mark that, that folks can see. And a lot of times folks who did not experience it have this like privilege of sorts where they can yeah. call traumatic responses, um, quirks or, or even saying somebody's acting out or something. But, um, yeah. those terms are negative. They're not gray. While in reality, somebody like me or somebody like you from the sounds of it can actually tell when someone is not acting out but navigating something deeper than what we see yeah. on the surface, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. And looking back, I wish somebody had maybe pulled me aside a little earlier and said, hey, you do know you're dealing with this, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because then I might have actually gone and dealt with it rather than just thinking this is like part of my nuts personality <laughs> where every so often I just have these little bursts of like stupidity and do say things I shouldn't say um you know and I was lucky because I was literally sitting in a church one day and my 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 friend was a pastor and he was walking down the aisle and he just turned and looked at me and he went 
I know exactly what's going on with you. And he sat down and he mm-hmm. said, you've got PTSD. And he only knew because he'd served. So mm-hmm. because he'd served, he understood it. And uh, I stopped thinking I was losing my mind after that. Just having him mm-hmm. reach out and say, you're not insane. It's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how but society can make you think that you're nuts when you're actually dealing with stuff. It's, um, yeah, I guess, I guess there is an, a certain expectation and like it changes between cultures, right? Um, but yes. there's a certain expectation of what a Syrian is or what a British person is or what a Canadian yeah. is. And, um, and somehow you have to walk that track and never veer away from it. And it's, I don't know. It's a boring track. It is. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't wish for PTSD upon anyone. I don't wish that. No. I wish that my PTSD never existed. I wish that the trauma that caused my post-traumatic stress is, is has never existed. But genuinely speaking, like now, years into therapy, years into navigating my own um, experiences, it opened my mind quite a lot. It allowed me and access to something that I did not expect to have access to. Um, yeah. And it somehow made me able to to connect with others in a way that I don't think I would have otherwise. And that sounds like bullshit, to be honest. Like, the whole thing sounds like bullshit. Me talking about the half-full side of the glass when it comes to PTSD. But generally I, speaking... I would say the same thing, to be honest with you. That, that would be how I would address it as well, because I think... We've all gotten so pushed into, you have to be this way, walk this mm-hmm. way, and talk this mm-hmm. way. And, and that some of that is social media and, and media in general. But mm-hmm. for th- those of us who are like, fuck no, I want to I wanna jump around like a fairy, or I want to wear pink hair, or I want to get every part of myself tattooed, because mm-hmm. that's what makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. That to me is is personality. I love those people, and I gravitate. I'm one of these awful people that goes into a bar, and I gravitate to the weirdest people in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. that's just who I am. Um, yeah. My husband will go, "Where's she gone? Oh wait, she's over there." <laughs> she's <laughs> you know, because that's up. just who I am. <laughs> yes, that that's usually what he cl- he says. Yeah, he's like the weirdest people in the room. I'm guaranteed Crystal will find them. <laughs> You know, because I'm not the kind of person that can get in a lift and not just talk to some random stranger. And he'll look at me like, Yeah. Are you seriously I mean, you're, you're definitely more extroverted than I am. That's for sure. I, I do not like talking to strangers. I find it's really funny because, like, when I'm on a stage and I have command of the space, I can sit there and I talk and I'm comfortable sharing. It just, it's the minute that it steps away from the stage and now I'm doing one-on-one or like in a small group of gathering. That's when, I don't know, specifically with the personality that I have, with the story that I have, people tend to ask stupid questions. It's not like that. I get those um, stupid questions as well. So, yeah. 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 And I just, you know, I do not talk to strangers in the lift that's for sure <laughs> for for me particularly i i kind of my mother feared that i'd be an introvert and that i would hide away because my brother wasn't very social mm-hmm. so she went overboard with me 
So I got mm-hmm. pushed into drama clubs and writing clubs and dance clubs and anything that had the word club in it. You're club, guaranteed right. I got pushed to it. And so I learned very quickly because in Shetland they're xenophobic. So everybody's got mm-hmm. their own corner and you just, you know, navigate. And I never kind of understood it. So I kind of went from place to place and I got myself mm-hmm. in a lot of trouble with the locals because, you know, I wasn't supposed to do that. Yeah. But it forced me to be out of myself. And it's the same for me. Like if I'm on a stage, I can be the funniest, loudest, sometimes crudest <laughs> person. Yeah. But the second that I step off and I'm crystal the person, mm-hmm. I am more anxious. And when I get anxious, the one thing I've discovered that is a good coping mechanism is just to talk to people about really random stuff. Because mm-hmm. if they laugh, you end up laughing. And it kind of spreads that joy and that happiness. And that mm-hmm. feeling becomes very addictive. So I think that's kind of where I got went in that direction. Because I suddenly realized, oh, I just made somebody smile that wouldn't have normally smiled mm-hmm. today. And that kind of then yeah. makes me feel good. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting that way. It's interesting because you... Hmm, you I went a bit crazy. Have a certain... <laughs> I went the other way <laughs> to what most people should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I. It's it's the expectations, right? Like we are expected to have yeah. a certain identity and a certain presence as authors. I'm expected that if I want to be taken seriously, I have to um, sit on the stage wearing um, uh, a suit, but like yep. one or two buttons open, and uh, speak in multi-syllable words and uh, never yep. make a joke. Or make a make an intellectual joke, like a funny haha joke, not a funny rolling on the floor hilariously joke. Um, exactly. Yep, I get the same lecture. Be, yep. Exactly, and you cannot be cru- uh, crude, even though it's actually fun to be crude on a stage. You throw people off, right? Um, or else you're not going to be taken seriously as an author. And yep. I, I, I like doing that. I like not to be taken seriously as an author. I want to be taken seriously as a writer, but when I'm on a stage, I'm just being myself. It's just, I'm being this like complex character. I'm not putting a personality on. Right. And it's, um, it's, hmm. I had an event where I was the moderator. I wasn't one of the authors. I, uh, I was asked to moderate two other authors, uh, both of them authors of color. And the topic was about, uh, both of them actually are black authors. And the topic was about racism in Canada and racism in the, uh, the U S and the topic is very heavy. And both books are very heavy, uh, books, very heavy reads. And the audience was roaring and laughter. Like I, 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 I navigated the topics and I, I asked hard questions but at the same time you have to break the tension or else you are going to be you're going you're going to leave the audience feeling despair after and yes the situation is despair inducing when you're talking about racism in um in north america but at the same time like how would the message be delivered if the message is always negative if they always if i always tell you that the world is about to burn down your chances of actually acting up are much lower 
So yeah, I made a couple of jokes yeah. and the authors laughed and I laughed and then the authors started making jokes and all of that. The festival was not very happy with me. The festival thought that I did not take this situation seriously. But I think me and the authors yep. had a fantastic time. That's all that matters. Like that's that's what I say. Whenever I have to do one of those panels, I warn the authors ahead of time. Because mm-hmm. I write adult female romances. Yeah. And my Pacific market is very niche. And it can be kind of serious because it's wrestlers and it's, you know, there's a whole attitude with that. But mm-hmm. anytime I bring very serious women together to talk about what's appropriate sex and what's not appropriate sex, they can get a bit catty with each other. So <laughs> I warn them ahead of time and I'm like, we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh. I'm going to say probably the most inappropriate jokes going. And yeah. Just roll with it. And most of them say, we prefer it when Crystal does it because then I don't want to throw my drink at someone or I don't want to storm off stage or there's not that hostility that normally kind of comes with some of these events. I, and I when I learned that, I was like, well... I, I'm not, not normally a fan of being a moderator, but on this occasion with the adults that I had there, I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it flies. And uh, yeah, yeah, same thing happened to me. Festival came over and we're like, we don't think that was a very serious talk on erotica. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you're talking about dildos and penises. How are you supposed to have a serious conversation about dildos and penises? <laughs> that is fair. That is fair. That is yeah. fair. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> so that was the end of that argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I was never invited again to be a moderator at that festival, so that tells you something. But, uh, but at the same time, honestly, I had a good time. And yeah, that's the main thing. Going to be, yeah, yeah, and I stayed true to who I am and what I wanted to, what I wanted to do. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what I say to like every writer who comes and asks me. Well, how mm-hmm. do you feel about being an author and a screenwriter? Because I get I get that question a lot, and I'm like, well, one or two different things, and I have two different lifestyles for each one. I said, but I follow whatever I'm feeling in that regard. So if I want to write screenplays. I will just tell my publisher, I'll be gone for a month. I'll see you when I'm finished. It, And they're usually okay with that because I usually have given them a stack of stuff beforehand. And mm-hmm. it's the same if I am if I say to my co-writer, look, I need a few weeks to finish a book. He's usually very good at kind of laughing at me, poking fun at me on his podcast usually, and oh. <laughs> saying, hey, you know, that's cool. See you in a couple of weeks. Um, so it's getting... I'm finding that rhythm now, that balance of trying to be just true to me and not worry about the pressures of work and arts and forms mm-hmm. of arts and all this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. what would be your mm-hmm. best advice for, for writers who are like trying to find where they feel like they should fit in our industry? Mm. I, huh. Well, I do the ask industry, the tough questions, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a tough question, but I'll, I'll tell you what. The industry doesn't know what it wants, honestly. No. 
genuinely speaking, the writing industry, the publishers, the editors, they don't actually know exactly what they want. Um, they are they are driven by numbers and by marketing, and uh, um, yep. and they are. Uh, you get one book that breaks through, and it's I don't know a fantastical memoir, and suddenly all they want is fantastical memoirs. You want yep. you get one book that has elements of Greek mythology in it, and suddenly every single author is asked to write Greek mythology. The industry yep. is shifting and, and it's fluid and it really is about uh, numbers and about sales and it's rarely about the art itself. I've, that is that is not to say that our editors are not amazing. Uh, my personal editor, the, the, um, the guy I work with at Penguin is fantastic. My editor at the children's... Uh, um, book uh, publishing house uh, Anik Press. Um, she is she's amazing, and both of them are looking into my artistic work. But at the end of the day, for other folks who are trying to break in, I don't think it is fair to tell them what you need to look into right now is I don't know wrestlers romance. That is that is not that is not yeah. how the industry actually works. So. It's funny because today somebody quoted that back to me. I said once that when I sit down to write, I mainly write for myself. Uh, I try to make myself laugh. That's true. I try to make myself happy. I try to be writing a story that I would read myself and find um, inciting, right? Insightful, sorry. And... And there's no other way, genuinely speaking. You just you just yeah. have to write it the way it is. Like you just have to write it for yourself, and you just have to write something that you are proud to read and that you enjoy yourself. And then if others joined in and liked them, then you're you're good to go. Um, but trying to write to the whims of the industry is uh, a fruitless. It's like fighting the ocean. Yeah, that's why I always exactly, like fighting right? the ocean. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, that's another thing I always say to people because I've ju- I'm in third year university. I'm 34 years old, which is crazy that I'm even there. Um, but I'm in that writing 34. How old are you? 34? Oh my God, you're yeah. youngling. I'm 40. Gosh. I know. I've lived enough <laughs> life for a 40 year old, but yeah, I'm 34. Um, as my mother would say, there's a reason she has no no color left in her hair, and my dad is bald. Um, ah, uh, the grief you caused. Scary but true, you know. Scary but true. And uh, so when I went to uni, they were like, "You've got to do creative writing," and I hated it because everything they teach them in the course is nothing like our industry at all. They are mm-hmm. not preparing them at all. They are leading them as far away from it as humanly possible. And I'm thinking, this is dreadful. Like, what are you doing? And I even said that to the lecturers. I'm like, this this is setting people up to fail. And he's like, I know, but this is the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that that's nuts. So when I started this, I started this because of that course. Because I was like, all the students on the course knew I was a published author. Knew I came from a family where poetry mm-hmm. was acceptable, not fiction. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the running gag, really, that, you know, 
oh, she's going to be a poet or whatever. Mm -hmm. And when I went into fiction, of course, my whole family revolted at the idea of me having anything to do with wrestling. Um, not knowing that I'm actually the one that can make every single wrestler in the room bright red in under two and a half seconds. Um, mm -hmm. Not something my dad's proud of. Has learned now and is not proud of. But yeah, like mm -hmm. I keep saying to all the, the writers that come up to me and ask me and show up at events and stuff, I'm like, stop listening to teachers, stop listening to the noise, try and find what you mm -hmm. want to write. Find who mm -hmm. you are first. Before you try agents mm -hmm. or editors or anything like that, find your voice first. Because there's nothing worse than getting stuck in a cookie cut you know a cookie mold that isn't you that's just going to make you miserable and that's been my mm -hmm. my best mm -hmm. advice so far I, I completely agree i completely agree and that's the thing i teach creative writing as well um, and one of yeah. the very first things that i tell my students when i teach creative writing is that um i cannot teach you how to write your story I, there's there's no way for me I can I, I can tell you how I write my stories, how I do my work, which results in me writing my stories, and I can tell you the the basics, the instrumentals in writing a, a story. Uh, I can talk to you about plots, three acts plots, and I can talk to you about dialogue and uh, three layered dialogues, and I can give you tips on I don't know metaphors and similes, and uh, we can talk about those things and give you an idea yeah. about those things. But at the end of the day, I will never be able to to tell you how to write your own story because at the end of the day. It is your own story. So, um, yeah. so a big part of my teaching method is to try and get the students themselves to to have faith and confidence in their own storytelling. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was mm -hmm. what I discovered too, was our lecturers were so different in the course. Mm -hmm. Like my, my one was very much like, I don't care if you're dyslexic, I don't care any of that stuff. Just give me characters, give me story. And then mm -hmm. if another lecturer was, you know, marking your work, they would they'd have a totally different outlook. And sometimes you kind of felt like, well, what what's the message here? Because you're, you know, everyone's saying a different thing. But I was I was mm -hmm. just very lucky because if I hadn't done the, the publishing stuff, I would never have survived the course. I don't know how half of them passed. But I think the ones of us that were passionate about it and we all do have really ingrained stories we need to tell we were yeah. the ones that were surviving because we were the ones that were like well saw this i'm gonna write anyway kind of let's just keep going it doesn't matter if i'm getting really bad marks i'm just gonna keep going yeah. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah and that that's what i always say to everybody persistence is like 90 percent of this industry i think half the time mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if you don't have persistency you just just fall flat on your face Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what's your what's your moment? Your aha! I can't believe that this has happened. I've made it in my mind as a writer. What was your moment? Do we actually get those? Like, do we actually feel I've had that it. way? I've had it. <laughs> yeah. I, I. Okay. So that's. 
the challenge with the moments, with the idea of the moments, is that it feels like it's permanent, which is not. Um, no, a lot of not. times, exactly. Like when I signed my contract with Penguin for multiple books, that felt like I've made it. I'm an author. When I published my first novel here in Canada and it ended up winning a couple of awards, I was like, I made it. I'm an author. Um, when I won the Lambda, the Lambda is my highest achievement. I'm very happy about winning the Lambda. Yeah. And, um, and it, it means the world to me because I've always wanted to win the Lambda. Like I, I heard about the Lambda back in Syria when I was 16 mm -hmm. and I always wanted to win it. And then now at the age of 39, I won a Lambda and it just mind blowing to me. Like that is, I, I can't do math, but that's like 600 years later. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, around 600, 622, I think. Uh, but the, the, the problem with those moments is that they're temporary. Um, yeah. as, as a writer, I find myself quite a lot navigating the, the days where I'm like, well, nobody is interested in this next project. And my agent is trying to sell this book in the U S and nobody's picking up. And, um, I want to write this novel, but that is going to take two years. And I don't know even if anybody will buy it after I publish it, after I, I finish writing it. So it might be a fruitless two years. So there are, there are moments of doubt. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 And, and honestly, like, yeah, sure. I can, I can be, I don't know, all holistic right now and be like, yeah, you have to accept both the good thing and the bad thing. And you have to like, except the complex story of the ups and downs. But when you are down, you're down. You are yeah. the gutter. You are broken, right? Um, but when you're up, you're up. You're, you're up there. I, the day that I won the Lambda, I, I cried. And then I went home and I cried some more. And then mm -hmm. I woke up the next morning and I cried one more time. It just, it, it, when you're up, you're up. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I my first moment was when I got told that I was going to go write my first ever wrestling show. This was before I mm -hmm. I'd really become an author at all, and that was the mm -hmm. dream. I was like, okay, if I write one wrestling show, I'm good. I've done it. And then I get a call saying, "Do you want to give us give me your books?" And I I went through the indie scene, and I've just signed a contract that I'm releasing one book a month for the next three years. Oh, wow. I just, yeah, I know, right? How like, do you how... write one book for the next three years? I have wow. a stack. I have a stack. That's the only way I can do it. I have a stack. <laughs> I am prepared. I have yeah, done I, am like, I was like, I knew this is coming. There's the stack. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be, uh, though. You got, as a writer, you're constantly yeah, writing yeah. something. So I just kept the stack to one side, and I'm like, well, Oh, I'll deal with that another day. You know, I'll, I'll publish that eventually. And yeah. luckily I did that because now I can sit on my laurels and be like, well, I've got, you know, enough books for three years. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll edit when they send it to me kind of thing. And yeah. then back three months ago, I got a phone call saying, I want to make your book a movie. Oh, wow. And I went, you're sh I, I, I did swear. I'll admit, I swore. It was like, no, you're pulling the piss. Like, no, no, seriously, Crystal, we want to, you know, but you've got a script, write it with somebody yeah. that 
is in the wrestling business. You can pick who it is. You can pick your friends or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's been my next moment. So I think once it's in production, that'll be the next book. Like, I always keep trying to find that next ledge, so to speak. Even if I mm -hmm. fall down flat on my face, I still get up and I still see, well, where's the next bit that I can go to? Mm -hmm. And my husband's like, I've never met anybody with drives the way that, that you've got it. And it drives him mad because I will, I will be so down when I fail to the mm -hmm. point where he's like, stop moaning, get on with it. And then when I'm on my highs, he can't stand me because I'm like this hyperactive kid running around the house going, woohoo, I got it. <laughs> and he's just like, day number two. Oh, yeah. But that's, that's the, that's this thing about living with writers is that we're either super happy or we're super sad. Right. There's no happy medium. There is no. Do you, so what's your goal striding forward? Have you got anything that you're in mind where you're like, I, I want to aim for that next? <laughs> um, I want to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, wow. Which, well, it's, it's, it's a stupid thing to say. It's never say happen. never. Never say never. You know what? I'm 40. I have 40 more years of writing. You you. You don't know. Exactly. 40, 50 more years of writing. I want to be 90 and I'm writing crazy, surrealist, cerebral books. And people are like, oh, he is so enlightened. I want to yes. be, I want to win the Nobel Prize twice. And I don't think anybody won the Nobel Prize twice, but I want to do it. I want to be the first to do it. I, uh, I, yeah, I want to be, um, the first Syrian to to win the Nobel Prize, and it's so I think you can do it. I I think you can do it. I I, I appreciate the call of like the the uh, the call of confidence. I really do. But um, but I I all I'm saying is it is the drive, right? Like it is yeah. shooting for the moon and landing amongst the stars, kind of cliche. Which, by the way, if you shot for the moon and landed among the stars, you are going to be in an endless trip with no food, water, um, because you're not going to land anywhere and you'll probably die. But um, but shoot for the moon, man. Very uh, great, great there, yep. <laughs> yeah, 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 just like a skeleton orbiting the Earth for the rest of yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> gosh. But yes, yeah, yes. I, I made that one once. I'm like, I don't quite know if I want to hit the moon. I think I'd rather hit the sun because <laughs> it's at least then. faster. You know, like you, you go like that compared to like, uh, you know. Now, can you imagine a kid in Malaysia with a telescope looking at the moon and suddenly all they see is a little human hitting the surface and a cloud yeah. just appearing. And that is that is us. Aiming for the moon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the kid is like, what oh. the hell is the... Anyways, I'm sorry, my brain. Come back, come back. Anyways. Oh, no, mine <laughs> does this all the time. I have the most analytic co-writer on the planet. And yeah. he gets so infuriated with me because my brain will just wander off somewhere and he'll be like, what are we even talking about? Why are we here now? <laughs> you know, and it'll just be, he'll have said a single word or something will have popped in my head and I'll be like, oh my God, this is a really good idea. And he's like, 
this is nothing to do with what we're doing. <laughs> so yeah, I, I really do infuriate him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, or usually he says, right, dictation time. Because <laughs> he can't type, <laughs> so I have to do the typing. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. He's, yeah, he's, but he's, like, he's figured me out, so yes. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. I I have to say that like my husband is dealing with a lot at the moment because uh, it's a quiet yeah. time for me, right? Um, I'm between books. This is twenty twenty three is my between books year. Um, yeah, which is funny because I have two books being released this year. I have two children books being released this year, but um, yeah. but last year I released the Fargo Echoes, and next year I'm releasing uh, my memoir Crooked Teeth. So this is my in-between year, which is usually quiet. So I don't get invitations to uh, to festivals. Yeah. There's no um, massive uh, list of things that I have to do. Uh, the children books were written last year, really. So it's not like I have to do anything about them. And you don't tour with children's books. Very, very few folks tour with children's books. So I am yeah. I am in this place where I'm sitting at home toddling my fingers, being like, what am I doing nowadays? What is my next big thing? And And your husband's like, ready to string you up. Yep. And my yeah, and my husband, the poor thing, I keep being like, I feel like I don't have anything to do and I'm I'm going to die poor and nobody is going to know my name. And my husband's like, okay, so every between year you get, you say this, like literally, like yep. clockwise, can you please? And I'll be like, no, this is new. These these fears are true. And he's like, can you please then? Can you chill? <laughs> I, yeah, Mine says yeah. the exact same things to me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely, honestly, I'm not a dramatic person with mm-hmm. most people. I'm very dramatic with my husband. I'm the drama yeah. queen in the relationship. Same. I'm same. Honestly, Gosh, the amount of times my husband says, "You don't need to act. You're a drama queen already." Like it's just <laughs> insane that he he says it as often as he does. He reckons I'm a bigger drama queen than ninety percent of the wrestlers that exist on this planet. Like he's like, <laughs> if you were to do who's the biggest queen in the room, it would definitely be you, Crystal, every time. Oh. That is uh, that is endearing that he knows that about you. Actually, it's very endearing that he knows. Yeah, that about you. We, well, I mean, we've been together fifteen years, and everybody <laughs> thinks it's hilarious that that we've been together as long as we have. We literally we met online. We talked for three months. He came to Shetland. We dated less than seven days, where he literally met my entire family, the whole <laughs> island. The whole thing in like 24 hours. And he asked me to move in at the end of the seven days. And we've never been apart since. That's so sweet. And that's, and that's our story. And we drive each other absolutely crazy every single day. Uh-huh. So, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's hilarious because I can safely say there's very few people on this planet who could live or deal with me for 24 hours straight every single day and not kill me including my parents i think my husband puts up with a lot with me too i think honestly he's uh and i put up with a lot with him too because god knows he yeah. also has his own quirks and he has his own moments right but um but 
I I think. And my favorite thing about my husband, genuinely speaking, is that he's not artistic at all. He's not the creative. Which is good, yeah. Which is so good. I do not understand how poets can date each other. Because all I see is poets dating each other for a very specific period of time and then writing seething poetry for years after about how terrible that relationship is. I'm like, why do you do it then? Yep. Why do you do it? My husband is very analytical. He's he's financially driven. He is he knows his numbers and he cannot write an essay to save his life. And that <laughs> makes me happy. That gives me pleasure and I'm happy with that. I must admit, because I'm the very creative one in the house, and my husband is very anti-creative. So, yeah. And uh, there are minor times I'll be sitting in the car, and he'll go, what are you doing? And I'll be like, I'm trying to figure out a plot line, and it's not working. And he'll go, do you want to talk about it? And I'll go, yeah. And then I'll run it out, and then he'll be like, so have you figured it out now? And I'll be like, yeah. (laughs) By the time I get to the end of this feel, I've already figured it out. <laughs> so, well, um, yeah, I cannot do that with my husband. Um, he is uh, extremely ADHD, and me sitting him down to tell him to walk him through a plot requires a lot of attention that he does not he does not have. The poor thing, um, which is which is cute to be honest. Like his his brain functions in a very different way than mine i think yeah and i mean that that's the great thing about me is i've been learning what my sort of learning issues were so i got told i have dyslexia but i have a mild form of adhd which i never Mm -hmm. knew i had so i'm one of Mm -hmm. these people that can be just sitting and having a conversation with someone and then something will pop my head and i'll jump to like 14 different topics later without context and the amount of people that will go stop where did that come from? Right? Rewind. <laughs> Give me context. Yeah. Okay, yeah. now we can go. You know, like, I will literally yeah. just see somebody walking by the window and I'll be like, I can see her underwear. Oh just God. like, that will just come right out. And my friend will be like, ah, Crystal, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> it's funny. Oh my gosh. Thanks, yeah, all guys. Yeah, I mean... It takes all kinds. That is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's gotten used to me. Or we'll be walking uh walking along the main street, and then she'll realize I'm not right beside her, and she'll start looking around, and then she'll see me boogieing like five or six steps behind her, and she'll just be like, "Did you get bored?" <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Oh, that's funny. But she's she's this blaster. She's gotta be my work wife for seventeen years. So, um, we've been we've been that close, like always seeing each other, always around each other. Um, and it's it's hilarious because her husband comes in and he goes, "Hi, honeys, I'm home." Because <laughs> he's especially if I'm there, because he's like, I get two wives when I'm at home. Because if she moans it, am I Mona? <laughs> we just tag team. Oh, that's really funny. That's really funny. Yes. Yeah, so apparently I'm uh, an interesting person to be around. I could tell. I could tell that you're a very interesting person to be around. I uh, I find myself uh, um, 
curious about many of the stories that you're telling me. (laughs) A lot of my friends are because I wanted, what was it? Somebody said this to me recently. They were friends with me all the way through primary school and sort of my young boys. And then I vanished for, they vanished for a while. They moved. And then we didn't talk for 15 years and I popped back in their lives. And they're like, Crystal, it was like, you never missed a single day with me. It was like we were still in primary seven and you were still doing the same weird crap that you've done since I knew you. And he said, but you stuck with me. No matter where I went, what I was doing, I always Mm -hmm. thought of this tiny little girl with this really, really big voice who just said and did the most randomest things. And I'd stuck with him, even though he'd gone through high school and all the teen years that we all suffer through. He's like, I couldn't stop thinking about that small, annoying kid that I had gone to school with. And I wasn't sure if that was a badge of honor or a curse. So I shall let the listeners decide. Probably a, a bit of a column A, a bit of column B, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And it's it's beautiful to have people who put up with us, right? Like, we are quirky as the great word of the day. Um, yeah. We as authors, we have to be, honestly, because we function... I don't know, like people can, I don't know, people can be engineers and they can go to their work and do their work and then they bring back, I don't know, the the, the structural way of thinking, but that is part of the people's expectations. People expect engineers to be structural in the way that they think, right? So when you meet an engineer and he is a bit logistical, you understand that, Um, but when you meet an artist and they're a bit out there, we call them out there or eccentric or, um, or quirky, like quirky. Yes. Which is all of those gray words that are not meant to be positive and kind of can be understood as negative. So that is, I think that is our full circle moment today for this podcast. (laughs) And that's the good thing about this show, because we do talk about books, and we talk about life, and we talk about our journeys on this show. And some people come on, and it's all very much book, 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 but it's good to have people that come on and have a genuine conversation about stuff that's, you know, yes, we can crack jokes, and yes, we, we do have these kind of out there personalities, but that's what gives people that are following us almost permission to be themselves so if we don't be ourselves then how are we expecting other people to be and i think Mm -hmm. that would probably be the topic for the day like just be you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's completely true i think that's a good message well you survived the show (laughs) i did i guess (laughs) Yes, I did. Uh, I always say that at the end because everyone gets dead nervous when they come on and they all fidget and they all like kind of freak out. And then by the time that's finished, they're like, yep, exactly. I saw you doing it earlier. (laughs) And then then they kind of go, yeah. And then they realize, oh, it's not that bad. Like, this is actually okay. (laughs) I had fun for like an hour today. And it just settles everything down. And yeah, I mean, I always say this is the fastest and fun piece of our media you'll ever do. 
So when your next book comes out, you'll have to come back and tell us how you're getting on. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for hosting me, Crystal. And uh, yeah. I enjoyed the, the quirkiness of today, let's say. <laughs> I aim to make at least a pers- the person laugh once, even if I have yes. to get really stupid. Yes. So stay by, stand by, guys, because we've got some incredible guests coming on next week. And I can't believe that they actually agreed to attend. 